Hi, everyone. How you doing? Nice to see all of you. Show of hands. How many of you learned a little something about baking a pie from that little video? Yeah, that's it. We are a full-service church, the soul and the stomach. We look out for you. Shortly after renowned black educator Booker T. Washington took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped on the street by a very wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping some wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his shirt sleeves, and proceeded to do the very humble chore that she had requested of him. When he had finished, he carried the logs carefully into the house, stacked them neatly next to the woman's fireplace. A little girl from the neighborhood happened to notice Mr. Washington recognized him, later revealing his identity to the lady. The very next morning, the very, very embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute, apologizing all over herself. It's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. The woman shook his hand very warmly, assuring him that this humble act of service had endeared him to her and his work to her heart. And that story in a nutshell is everything that downward mobility, descending into greatness and humility is all about, isn't it? And if you were to, say, step into Mr. Washington's shoes, if you were to imagine yourself in that very same situation, to do what he did would not at all be easy, would it? To humble yourself to the level that he humbled himself to, sir, just because you're walking down the street, just because your skin is a different color than mine, would you be so kind as to, you talk about a humbling moment for Mr. Washington, which really only serves to raise, elevate the issue that there's simply no tidy definition, there's no step-by-step how-to guide for a concept as thick and deep and challenging as humility as downward mobility, how it is that we are to constantly, as followers of Jesus Christ, be living a life that descends into God's greatness. And while it's one thing for us to know that intellectually, those facts intellectually, that there is no tidy definition, this is not easy, we still yearn and clamor and claw for clean definitions, for tidy answers, for tightly packaged maxims, for just how humility is fleshed out, how it's done. For example, is it as simple as keeping your salary somewhere south of $100,000 a year? Is that humility? Is that descending into greatness? Is it as straightforward as giving all your stuff away to the poor? Is that descending far enough? Is that living humbly? Does it mean that at every turn you refuse titles, accolades, and any honorable mention whatsoever? Is that humble enough? How about hugging every single homeless person you ever see or meet? Is that descending far enough is that humility walked out but it isn't that simple we can't just answer those questions yes or no and then settle it humility is not at all that simple to quantify and so in light of that it seems to me that the very real question becomes how does descending play out how does humility play out how do you walk this out how do I walk this out in everyday life And while yes, absolutely, it is terribly difficult to define, to set rules for, to quantify humility, to quantify descending into greatness, there's this underlying very real sense 
that everything comes down to this very definite intentionality. It requires a choice. Living humbly, descending into greatness, requires at every turn, likely multiple times, even in an hour, a choice, a decision, a willful decision. I think you could probably say it like this. Descending into greatness is clearly the way of Jesus Christ. It's just how he lived. And if you want to follow in his footsteps, which we would all say, yes, we do, you have to make a conscious, daily, purposeful choice to move down. It's a choice. It's a choice. In so many ways, us living out humility, in so many ways, us descending, is an issue of attitude that's reflected in the answers to questions like, what's truly important to me? What am I driven most by? Where do my values really come from? Which is the real gut check of our faith in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Absolutely. You could argue that our faith in Jesus Christ is multifaceted. Yet at the very end of the day, our overriding purposes as followers of Jesus Christ is quite simple. You, me, us, you be a part of bringing God's kingdom to earth just as it is in, as it is in heaven every single day. You wake up in the morning, you kick your feet off the edge of the bed, feet hit the floor, and you, me, us, you bring the kingdom of God right here on earth just as it is in heaven, which means that for us who follow Jesus, we do absolutely whatever we can, wherever we can, to bring God's kingdom more and more and more to reality in all the spheres of life that we live, work, rest, and play in. Which means when you boil it all down, that we, followers of Jesus Christ, humbly then give our lives and give ourselves away in the name and love of Jesus Christ so that everyone else with whom we come into contact might receive the life that Jesus Christ offers and has for them. Some of you know my wife Dan is in the Democratic Republic of Congo right now with our four adopted daughters. Daughters who have been unable to come home for almost a, we're at the, about the one year mark right now. For almost a year they've been able to come home. We're the girls' parents. Our adoption was final way back in April of 2013. But their government, and really it's about one single man, will not let our daughters leave. Our daughters and about a thousand other adopted children, he will not let those children come home. That fact is deeply disturbing to increasing numbers of Congolese citizens who understand full well what that means. Children, as they understand it, who have no one in the DRC to love, care, and protect them are stuck between a rock and a hard place with no one over there to love them in the way that children are meant to be loved. Yet they're unable to leave to be united with families who actually do love them the way that children are meant to be loved. And that reality is settling in more and more and more on the general Congolese population, a population where, by the way, only one in seven children even lived to the age of five. One in seven children in the DRC lives to the age of five. Dana got to Kinshasa just a few weeks ago. The morning after she arrived, she was met at the motel where she stays with our daughters by a Christian pastor who had heard our story from some adoptive families who were battling through the similarly anxious waiting game that we've been enduring. And this pastor showed up, knocked on her motel room door and said, Mrs. Hopkins, I will do absolutely anything in my power to help you with your case. And at every turn, 
he has again and again and again and again. Now, anytime anything like this happens, especially in the third world, you wonder, what's that guy's agenda, right? What's he after? What's he want from Dana? What's he want from me? What's he want from us? Why has he set about to recruiting some of Congo's most powerful attorneys to our case and to our cause? Why has this very busy, very successful pastor chosen to take time out of his already full life to drive to meetings, take Dana to appointments with government officials, and just stop by the motel to tell Dana and the other American families who are holed up there with their kids, hey, look, don't go out of the motel today. Don't leave this compound today. The city's a mess, random gunfire all over the place. It happened just this week, and it would not be wise for you to be seen on the streets today. Stay put. He'll just do that. And Dan has been texting me for weeks now about this dear, dear man, dear, dear pastor. And I've come over the course of these weeks to the resolute conclusion that this man doesn't have any agenda at all. He doesn't have anything to gain. He doesn't have any ulterior motives. And on more than one occasion, I found myself almost weeping out of sheer gratitude for this Christian brother who is so incredibly humbly giving his life and self away in the name and love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. Giving his life and giving himself away in the name and love of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. And it's the same challenge that you and I are faced with every single day. If we're intent on living out the mission and purpose of Christ, then we must daily make the choice to descend, to live humbly on the basis of that question, does what I'm about to do bring God's kingdom to earth or does it not? Does what I'm about to do bring God's kingdom to earth or does it not? And for that dear pastor in the DRC, for any of us who desire to walk out the bringing of God's kingdom to earth, it isn't about the economic or the social or the status factor, but it's all about the answer to that singular laser-focusing question. Does what I'm about to do bring God's kingdom to earth or does it not? We walk around in a world where most people are living to be as self-fulfilled as possible which means that our living humbly, our descending into God's greatness, pushes aside then selfish desires, selfish pleasures in such dramatic fashion that the good of others exceeds our desire for our own good. That's how God intends for it to work. The kingdom of God breaks into the kingdom of this world when we care more deeply about giving than we do about receiving. It's not about me. It's about God's kingdom advancing again and again and again with every choice. Philippians 2 makes that about as clear as it possibly can be, starting in verse 3. Don't be selfish, and I, I sure need to hear that. Don't be selfish. I need to hear this too. Don't try to impress others. Just stop it, Paul says. Instead, be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, 
which means really like in light of all of that, in light of everything that I just said, that I just wrote, Paul's saying, because of all that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. From the apparent lowest of the lows to the absolute pinnacle, the peak. Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, yielded all divine privilege, worship, status, made himself nothing. Some translations of the text render the verbiage nothing. He made himself nothing, really. He became a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient, and he died on a cross to bear the penalty that every person on planet Earth deserved. And he did that for a singular purpose, to move the kingdom of God forward. To move the kingdom of God forward. And while that required him absolutely to be at the center of the narrative, it wasn't about him. Wasn't it all about him? And what I'm learning more and more as I press into what it looks like for me and for any follower of Jesus Christ to walk this humility thing out, this descending thing out, is that it isn't at all about how much power a person has. But rather, it's about how you choose to use the power that you do have. It's not about the size of the check that you deposit at the bank, but rather what you choose to do with the money once it's on deposit at the bank. Again, it's about choice, the daily moment-by-moment choice. How do you choose to manage who you are and what's been entrusted to your care? Money, authority, talent, influence, it doesn't matter. And how we answer that question is determined by the central purpose in our lives. Am I about advancing my agenda or God's agenda? Whose is it? Is it my agenda or is it God's agenda? Now look, we can all choose to expend power, money, talent on ourselves for our gain, for our best interests. And if we do that, that absolutely and entirely serves to shine up all the externals that the world sees. And people look on and they say, whoa, aren't they something? Whoa, they've arrived. Whoa, look at them. And they honor and esteem and hold in high regard and so. But God says, look, it's only when you use your resources for God's service that you step into and live out the life that he intends for us to live. It's only then, it's only there. And so the challenge for us then, see, is to maintain an attitude of willingness, yieldedness, obedience, availability, as we descend, as we journey the downward trajectory that Christ invites us to. And the path down to humility and greatness, it's absolutely, you're right, riddled with ambiguities. Lacking a black and white definition and instruction means, yes, things get muddy. What does it look like to descend? What does it look like to live humbly? And even in the face of the mud, the trend line of downward mobility is composed of those everyday, ordinary, small decisions to really heed the nudges, the tugs, the promptings from the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, they're absolutely easy to ignore. Or if we're out of step with God, it's really easy to not even notice them at all. But those cues from the Lord mark out the pathway of humility, the pathway of Descending. The Lord used this one example recently to get my attention. One morning, just the other day, I was about to leave to come to work. I was gathering up my stuff, sort of finishing up, tidying things up and getting my stuff together. And I noticed that the lawn spraying truck pulled up in front of our house. Great big tank truck, you know, 
3,000 gallons of poison strapped to the back of it, pulls right up in front of our house. I saw the woman get out of the truck, get out her hose and all her equipment. She very carefully donned her protective gear, and she spent the next few minutes spraying the lawn, up and down spraying the lawn. I found it interesting that the woman who sprayed the lawn was wearing protective gear, respirator, and all this stuff, and our windows are wide open, and the stuff is just wafting into the house, and the children and I are just sucking it in. But it makes the lawn really pretty and green, and so we don't ask many questions, do we? I noticed that the woman finished spraying the lawn, and the next time I saw her, she had gotten back into her truck. I was still gathering things up. And from all appearances, she was just sitting there right in front of our house for what I considered to be an inordinate amount of time. I was like, what, what, what's she doing? She's just sitting out there. I finally finished gathering up all my stuff, getting it ready to go. I exited the house, got in my car, drove out of the driveway, off to work, you know, bustling. Away I went. But as I got to the driver's window of that big spray truck, I started to wave at the woman. Like I'm in my driver's seat, she's in her driver's seat, I'm looking up, and I start to wave, and I notice that she has a very big, very thick book of maps out, sitting on the steering wheel, and she's intensely focused on finding something. I didn't think much of it at all until I sensed in that moment, like in an instant, God's nudge to stop and talk with the woman who had just sprayed our lawn with toxic poison. Now here's the deal. When I sensed that nudge, you know what my like reflexive response to God was? This is a little confession me to you. You know what it was? I tried to talk God out of my stopping and talking to the woman. I, I really did. Like all cards face up, I tried to talk him out of it. I was like, Lord, I gotta go. I should really be at work already. I got a full day. I need to do this and this. And besides, Lord, that woman, she does not want to talk to me. Right? She's just gonna think I'm weird for stopping and talking to her. So Brian, just wave and keep on driving. And the Lord would not sign off on my excuses. Stop and talk to her was his directive. And I was like, Okay, and it was really clear. So foot on brake, car in park. I very sheepishly opened my car door. I got out. I climbed up onto the steps of the big spray truck, and like my face is here, and her face is like right here on the other side of this pane of glass, and I think I startled her a bit. She rolled down the window. I said, ma'am, thank you so much for spraying our lawn with poison. No, that's not what I said. Thank you so much for helping our lawn look so good. We really appreciate that. Sure, she said, no problem. And I pointed to her big map book, and I said, I couldn't help but notice you're looking for something. Is there anything that I could help with? She said, maybe I can't find even the street where my next appointment is, let alone the address. I said, oh, yeah, maybe I can help you. So she blurts out, this obscure street name that I promise nobody in this room has ever even heard of before. I was like, are you sure that's even in our town? I've never heard of that street before. She said, yeah, it's in our town, and the GPS, she pointed to her dashboard-mounted GPS unit, won't even find it, and I was like, oh, great. Huh, I said, I've never heard of that street, but let, let me see if my Google Maps knows where that is. Thank you so much, woman Bean. Before you, had, before you pulled up, I had no idea how I was going to find it, and I don't want to be late, and it's embarrassing to call, and so I hurriedly typed the street address into my trusty iPhone 4. It's not even an S, by the way. It's like 4, straight 4. That's like older than some of you are. 
Sure enough, the address came right up. It's a newer street, like a half mile or so from our house. Ah, I found it. And so I'm standing on the steps on the side of the truck, and I'm doing this, like, pointing. I'm trying to hang on and not fall off, and I'm pointing, and it's, like, right over there. If you just turn left and turn right and go around the corner. Thank you so much for stopping, she said. She was beaming, elated. I said, no problem. Nice to meet you. I'll see you next time, and and that was it. And the tug of the Holy Spirit to stop and talk with that woman, the choice that I had to make about whether or not I would choose to obey him had absolutely nothing to do, did it, with power or money or talent or influence. It was simply, here it is, about being available and willing to respond to God's call in my life in that very brief moment. Would I be available? Would I be obedient? Would I, would I do what my Lord and Savior was asking me to do? And you could say absolutely that it wasn't very spiritually profound. I didn't lead the woman to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I didn't share scripture with her. I didn't even invite her to church. The Holy Spirit's very simple request in that moment, that moment, was that I thank her for her service to our family and help her find the next place she needed to be. That I would, in that instant, care about the things that she was caring about in that moment. And God fully expected me to obey. Now, had the Lord asked me to drive the big truck to the obscure address, don the protective suit and spray the yard for her, he would have expected the exact same obedience of me if that had been his directive. And so you see, humility and downward mobility more and more and more is an issue of whether or not I choose to respond obediently to the things that God asks of me. And the same thing goes for all of us. In closing, there's one choice in particular that I've been personally working on with the Lord that I'm finding can actually help serve anyone and everyone's trying to live in a posture of humility and downward mobility. And here's the, the choice. Ready? It's simply to be humble. It's simply to be humble. And I, I know that sounds really odd, Humility is the aim, right? So, well, just go and be humble. And some of you right now, you're like, oh my gosh, Brian, I like reordered my whole day. I canceled plans to be here in church right now. And I was expect hoping that you would tell me something profound. And so you wrap up this whole series, Humble Pie, by saying like, be humble. Yep. Because it really is Profound. If you want to be humble, if you want to descend in the way that Jesus Christ descended into the greatness of God, choose to be humble. Think about it like this. Think about it like working out at the gym. Try pushing yourself as frequently as you can, as hard as you can to be humble. Think about humility as a spiritual discipline of sorts. It's not on the classical list of spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer and solitude and fasting and those sorts, but you can add it. Make humility a spiritual discipline of sorts. And it isn't pretending to be humble. It's actually being humble. Flex your humility muscle. Flex the downward mobility muscle. Be humble. And I think you'll find that by pressing to be humble in some situations. But what do you know? You make it easier and more natural to be humble 
in other situations. Think about a couple of examples with me. The busy CEO of a growing enterprise decides every single morning to personally greet five junior employees in their offices. And guess what? After a few weeks, she finds she's thoroughly enjoying this morning ritual, in part because of how people react. Oh my gosh, what are you, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just here to greet you. Good morning. Nice to see you. Thanks for your service to our company. And what do you know, in pretty short order, she ends up doing that every single morning without even thinking about it. It becomes like reflexive for her. Another example, imagine the captain of the football team deciding in advance that he's going to deflect the praise of the win onto the rest of the team. It isn't about him. Certainly he laid a heroic effort out on the field. But it's about the rest of the team and what they did. They gave their guts. And when he does that, not only has he lifted the spirit of the entire team, but over time he learns that he has less and less need for praise and accolades. It's not about him. Be humble. You want to be humble? Be humble. Because it's the best way. It's the way of Jesus. It's the path that he invites us all to choose to walk down with him. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads, move into a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord if you would. for you in this time of reflection is God's nudge and God's tug and God's prompting around living humbly being humble descending into greatness where is his nudge to what is he prompting you around that question, does what I'm about to do advance the kingdom of God or does it not? And I dare say that for some of you today, your choosing humility means that you choose Jesus as your Savior once and for all. Maybe for some of us, we've been nibbling around the edges of faith and we've been sort of dating Jesus, if you want to use that analogy. But for some today, it's about the humility to say, I need Jesus. I need him to be my savior once and for all. No more messing around more riding the fence, no 
more playing games. And if that's you, you can take the very bold step of crossing the line of faith in him. Following him, choosing to follow him down the path of greatness by praying with me. I invite you to pray with me, Jesus. Absolutely. I need you, Jesus. I choose you as Savior and Lord and boss and ruler of my life. And I'm so, so grateful, Jesus, for you, for your sacrifice on the cross on my behalf, because I am absolutely incapable of saving myself. Take my sin, Jesus, and take my mess, please, Jesus, and take it all. I lay it at your feet. And I say thank you. And I trust you with everything. Here's my life. And if you're someone who's stepping across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, that's the single biggest choice of your whole life, speaking of choices. Such a significant choice that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that choice. I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. You, me, and God. Only ones with our eyes open. If you prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus, would you just be brave and would you slip your hand way up and lock eyes with me and let me agree with you in your decision today? You can do that right now. You, yes, way to go, man. Way to go. Jesus, we praise you and we celebrate you and the gift that you are on behalf of this one who's saying, I need you, Jesus. Powerfully, Jesus, you've sought and brought and pursued all of us to yourself. And we're so incredibly grateful. Jesus, we long to live humbly. We long to be humble. And we long every single moment of every single day for that question to ring in our ears, does this advance the kingdom of God or does it not? want to answer yes and yes and yes and yes and when you nudge and when you prompt and when you stir we want to obey and so that's our commitment to you we will obey we will trust even when it seems way out there on a limb we'll say yes because we long for your kingdom to come through our lives It's why we live. It's why we breathe. It's why we're here.